What is going on, everybody? Welcome in to a TGIF edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It is Friday, and oh, it's so lovely to get to a football weekend. Finally. And a bye week is great and all to get rest, but I'd rather just keep it rolling. The Texans will keep it rolling on Sunday, less than 48 hours away, with a matchup with the 6-3 Washington Redskins. Appreciate you being here. I am your host, John Harris, as I am each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at this time. Thank you for being here. We've got plenty for you tonight. We are going to hear from DP City with their Deep Slant Interview of the Week. This week, it's Sharice Wright. Don't know a whole lot about Sharice. I mean, I, I do, having studied him back when he was at USC. He's played in the league, played with Buffalo last year. So I know a little bit about the player, Sharice Wright. We're going to learn a little bit more about the individual, Sharice Wright, because, well, that's what DP does with a deep slant interview. So we'll have that. We'll have my first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game. How will the Texans get that win and get to 7-3? and three? Get to 7-3 and three with three straight home games. I mean, even at 6-4, and four, and I don't even want to say that, but even at 6-4 and four with three straight home games, they've got a great opportunity with two of those being division games. To win all three of those games, it's not going to be easy. Don't get me wrong. But to win those three home games, take care of your home turf, protect your home turf. And if you do that, you walk out of there no worse than 9-4. and four. Now, of course, we're getting ahead of ourselves. we got to take care of this one. Take care of this trip on the road. Then you only got two more trips on the road in the regular season. Back-to-back trips, one to New Jersey to take on the Jets, one to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. So how do you get to seven wins? I'll have my keys to the game later. We've also got Kevin Kugler, who does our TV play-by-play in the preseason. Does it with Spencer Tillman and my man Drew Doherty down on the sidelines for TV. Kevin then, during the year, does anything and everything imaginable. College football on Big Ten Network. His college basketball on Big Ten Network. He does Westwood One NFL games. So he's doing a game in college Saturday. He's flying to do the Sunday night game, does the Monday night game. He's unbelievably good, and he is one of the best guys you're ever going to meet. Kevin Kugler's going to stop by for a kind of a different men behind the mics, if you will. I believe he's got the Monday night game, Rams and Chiefs. I believe that's going to be him. And then I'm going to give you my picks. We're going to do Texans Pick'em, presented by Train. I pick all games straight up and against the spread. Now, I think our Texans Pick'em is just straight up winners. I give you winners Straight up and against the spread. So you definitely want to stick around for that. And then it's our players segment, the final segment of the show. We turn it over to Kareem Jackson for player reporter. One of the hottest things going in Texans land. It's the hottest thing. I mean, we got t-shirts now. Kareem's just on fire. So we got KJAC TV. We've also got the final over Drew Doherty this week. It's going to be Kendall Lamb. And... It's the game plan with Brian Gaines, our manager of your Houston Texans. You're like, whoa, 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 John. You said it's the player segment. Yeah, Brian used to be a player. Played in the NFL. So there you go. Player segment. Final segment. How about that? But we kick off each and every show with some hot reads. So let's get to them. Hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And every Friday, minus the bye week, of course, we get a chance to catch up with the head coach, Bill O'Brien, and get his thoughts about the Redskins, the trip to Washington, 
and all that's going into this weekend. And Mark caught up with him earlier today. Coach, we talked about Alex Smith all week long, but it seems like, in addition to everything else, that short passing game can be sort of like a running game for them, real ball control type stuff. Absolutely. He's done a great job with that. He did a great job of that in Kansas City, uh, and, he, and that's picked up uh, with Washington, with Jay's scheme in Washington. He's got really good feel for that. You know, he's got good touch on the ball. He, he, he can see the coverage when guys are really – you know, getting depth and coverage, he can dump it off, and they, they're gaining a lot of yards in those those routes under 10 yards, and that's that's going to be a big challenge for us. How hard is it to stop the run and stop that stuff at the same time? Yeah, it's tough. I think you have to start with stopping the run. I mean, I think any time you play a team with Adrian Peterson, you better you better hone in on stopping the run first, you know, set the edge, uh, build a wall inside, and tackle well, because if you let him get going – that just makes all those those plays in the passing game a lot more hard to defend. If you can really keep them in long yarded situations by stopping the run, second and ten, third and ten, you know, then 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 you have a real chance to uh, play good defense. Seems like you're getting good play up front and from the back end, despite some injuries. I think that they're playing well together. There's a there's a really good chemistry on the defensive side of the ball as well as the offensive side and on special teams, but. Specifically on defense, there's guys on the back end that are communicating really well, whether it's, uh, you know, Badger, you know, doing a great job communicating with the linebackers, BMAC's done a great job, and then up front with JJ and DJ and those guys, they, they, they've all done a good job of playing good team defense, everybody doing their job. They're really accountable to each other, and that, that's when you know you got a chance to have a good defense. How do you feel about the week of prep on offense, getting back in rhythm after the bye? I, I feel good. I think we've had a good week. I think the bye came at a good time. Guys came back refreshed. Uh, we've had a lot of energy in practice. It hasn't been perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, I think these guys have, have really done what we've asked them to do, and it's uh, it's been a good week. So important to hang on to the football against this team. You mentioned turnover margin plenty this week. Yeah, it's a, it's concerning. I mean, they do a great job. I mean, they, they obviously practice – batted balls, intercepting balls, and really punching the ball out. They do a great job, whether it's Josh Norman, DJ Swearinger, the linebackers. They they have a knack for punching the ball out. And so that's going to be a big deal for us. You know, if we, if we can come out of the game with no turnovers, then we'll have a real good shot. If we start turning the ball over, it's going to be a long day. But you still want to make big plays, so you have to kind of pick your spots there? Yeah, I think, look, I think at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be opportunities uh, for both play, both teams, just like there is in every NFL game, to make plays. And, you know, hopefully we can make those plays. But I think we also have to understand that, you know, we've got to be able to run the football, be efficient, you know, get in third manageable and be able to move the chains, you know. So it's going to be – uh, up to me and, and uh, Deshaun to just continue to do a good job of trying to get us into the right play and, and, and play the game the way it's being played. What are we looking at this week in special teams? You know, I think that they have really good specialists. You know, that's the thing. When you look at it, uh, they've got a great punter and a, and a good place kicker. We've got to understand that. They, they're doing a really good job of being able to place the ball on kickoffs, place the ball on punts, and that's important. They have really good uh, – on their punt coverage, they have really good gunners. So it's like individual guys that we're going to have to do a great job of containing and, and really competing with. Our guys on special teams have really bought into how important that, that part of the game is and, and are playing well, and we're going to need it on, on Sunday. How does a new return man affect the blocking that's in front of him for you? Yeah, you know, I think that the, the schemes are basically – uh, the same. I mean, I don't think they're real intricate, you know, when it comes to kickoff return or, or obviously the, the more frequent is the punt return. And you know, I think DeAndre does a really good job in practice so far. He's a strong player. He's a confident player. Uh, he fields the ball 
he squares up on the ball and fields it well, and so I think he can he can make some yards, and we just need to do a good job of, you know, not committing penalties, staying on our blocks, but you know, don't hit anybody in the back, no, no illegal blocks above the waist, those types of things, and, and I think DeAndre will make plays. Coach, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks, Fanny. Every time I hear the name Alex Smith, I just sort of, oh, I sort of shudder. I remember that Sunday night game last year where he just came in here and was lights out. Now, he's throwing at Tyree Kill. He was throwing at Travis Kelsey. He's throwing at Chris Conley. He's throwing at some dudes. Plus, he had Kareem Hunt in his backfield. But the one thing that Alex Smith did was the way that he manipulated the pocket and got out of the pocket in inducing or inviting the Texas pass rushers up the field, and then he would duck up in the pocket and then get in and out. And then once he got out, he's on the run. You're talking about 6'4", 215-pound guy who can run, who can throw the ball on the run pretty well. Now, he had good weapons to work with. Washington, not as much. Not as much. Jordan Reed, not quite Travis Kelsey. Wide receivers, not quite of the ilk of Tyreek Hill, Chris Conley, etc. So it's a little different, but I know what Alex Smith can do. We've all seen it. We've seen it in this building. He's come to this building each of the last what, two times at 15, once at 16, once at 17. Now we get to go visit his turf, but his turf's a little different. Now Landover, Maryland, and it's the Washington Redskins. It's time for our next hot read, and probably the one that people want to know more than anything else, and that is the injury report. Now, coming out of the bye week, there, there's been a lot of news from an injury perspective. So the Texans have five players that are questionable. Aaron Colvin. Kiki QT, Zach Cunningham, Duke Ejiofor, Jonathan Joseph. Now, Coach O'Brien was asked about, I, I believe, almost all those guys throughout this week. Maybe the one guy he wasn't asked about was Ejiofor. So, not totally sure what his status is. But they were all limited participants in practice. They have all practiced. They've all been out there. They've all been doing work. Limited participant practice can mean... They did a lot, but then there was one drill they got held out of. There could be some that they were doing. There could be very little that they were doing. Limited participant can be can kind of run the gamut, if you will. Coach talked about Aaron Colvin. He said he's a little bit further away. Going to be a game-time decision. Jonathan Joseph thought it was going to be a game-time decision. Same with Kiki QT, but he felt like with Kiki, he was trending in the right direction. Now, Zach, my, my gut all along, has told me that Zach is not going to be available for this game. He missed the Denver game after uh, getting injured early in the Miami game. I've kind of had that Titans game circled, that that was the one that we really needed to have Zach back, and hopefully he continues to make progress. And timing-wise, the injury he had and has, when he got hurt and when he would be available, it felt like that Monday night game against the Titans would be uh, the right opportunity. So we'll see. But Zach's questionable. Edge of four questionable. Joseph, QT, and Colvin. My gut tells me we'll see Kiki. Gut tells me we'll see J. Joe. I don't know about Aaron. But that's, again, that's my opinion playing doctor, if you will. Now, that does mean that Andre Howe, DeAndre Hopkins, Whitney Merciless, limited participants in practice not only this week, but uh, for the last few weeks, in particular, Hop and, and Dre, they are all ready to go. In, good, no issues, we're ready to rock. Now, on the Redskins side, a little bit dicier. But you've got three guys that are out. Jameson Crowder, slot receiver, 
Samaje P. Ryan running back. Also, Chris Thompson at running back. Those three are out. That's two running backs out. Now, that still leaves Adrian Peterson. So they've still got some firepower at the running back position. They still have Capri Bibbs, who I think is a pretty solid running back. Played at Colorado State, had one year at Colorado State, I think it was 2015. I think it was 2015. He scored a million touchdowns. So they still have Adrian Peterson and Capri Bibbs, but not any, no more depth. Samaj P. Ryan, Chris Thompson, both out. Jameson Crowder out. Don't know how that's going to affect what the Redskins want to do, other than the fact that with Crowder out, they probably that probably takes away some of the slot receiving options, some of the things they may want to do on the inside, because the rest of the receivers are all perimeter receivers. Floyd, J.U. Chesson, Maurice Harris, Brian Quick, Josh Doxson, those are all perimeter receivers. So the slot receiving game is probably not going to be available to Washington without Jameson Crowder. The questionables are pretty interesting as well. Dustin Hopkins has been a limited participant. He's the kicker. He's questionable. Trent Williams, all-pro left tackle, has had a cast on his hand for a few weeks. Now, the report has been that he's still another week or two away from playing, but he's listed as questionable. He has done some work at practice, although he didn't participate the last two days. He did participate today in a limited capacity. We'll see if that means that Trent Williams is going to start, and that would be a huge boost to the offensive line for the Redskins. Now, again, the timing has been such that he was not scheduled to play, but he is listed as questionable. Monte Nicholson's safety has been sick this week, but he was a full participant in practice. He's listed as questionable. So three questionable for the Redskins. Hopkins, Williams, Nicholson, three out for the Redskins. Crowder, P. Ryan, and Chris Thompson. Oh, I forgot one of the questionable, Quentin Dunbar, who has been out of practice all week with a shin. He's listed as questionable, and he's key because he ends up being a nickel cover guy. So if Kiki QT plays, there's no Quentin Dunbar. That's going to be tough for the Redskins on the inside. So there's your injury report and your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. All right, one of the guys back for the Texans. He was back last week or two weeks ago against Denver, did a really nice job, and the Texans needed him, and they need him again on Sunday in a big way at corner, Sharice Wright. It's time for our Deep Slant interview of the week with Sharice Wright next on Texans All Access. It is time for our Choose Fun Moment of the Week as brought to you by Carnival. Now, there was a number of them to pick from, not from this past Sunday, of course, the Texans were on a bye, but going back to the Denver game, there were a few in that one, but this is the one I think will resonate with everybody. McManus sets up from near the right hash mark, 51-yard attempt for the win. The snap is down. The kick is up. Wide right, wide right, wide right. It's no good. It's wide right. The Texans win it. 19-17. Houston prevails. The Texans have won their sixth straight game. The missed field goal by McManus. Same end zone where he missed a 62-yarder. And the Texans hang on for the victory to go to 6-3 heading into the bye. And they become the first team since 1970 to go 0-3 and then win six in a row. They hung on. They get the win. 
1917 at Denver. There were plenty of fun moments in that game against Denver, but that was our Choose Fun Moment of the Week. It's brought to you by Carnival. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown, which they did in that one, DeAndre Hopkins. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans, choose fun. Now, winning is fun, so I'll take it. But, man, I would like a stressful, a, a stressless afternoon in Washington. Is that too much to ask? Stressless afternoon? Just get on top, kind of like Jacksonville. Get on top, stay on top, and just ride the wave all the way through. Maybe a little hiccup here and there. Jacksonville got a touchdown, started driving a little bit in the fourth quarter. But then Tyron Matthews said, no, it's over. I would like that kind of afternoon. I mean, wouldn't we all? But that's what the Colts did. Colts went to Washington, I think, in week two. I think it was week two. Got that win 21-9 and just thumped Washington. Just thumped them. I mean, Washington really, I, I watched that game. more When I watched it, it was more from the Colts' perspective. But they thumped them. They thumped them pretty good on the road. And Washington's sort of been up and down. When they're up, they're going to win a game. 24-17, uh, uh, 16-13. They're going to win that kind of game. But if they're down, they're going to get pummeled. And they got pummeled by the Saints, by the Colts, and also by the Falcons. So opportunity here for the Texans to go get win number seven. Team that walks out of here with the wins walking out with win number seven. And we give either team a huge leg up in their division as they meet as division leaders. It's nice to play football of this kind of importance this late in the year. Last year, you know how that one went. All right, it's time to get to our Deep Slant interview of the week with a guy that we don't really know a whole lot about because it's the first time that he has been on our air with us. I'm very intrigued. He's played, I think, really well. He made a great play in the end zone on Cortland Sutton. That's Sharice Wright. Played for Buffalo. He's been around the league a little bit. Played at USC. So he knows a former Texan. And that guy really kind of kept him and gave him kind of a up-to-date, hey, here's what's going on with the Texans, here are the guys in the locker room sort of thing. Brian Cushing did that for Sharice Wright, former teammates at USC. So they've stayed in contact with one another, and Sharice Wright has made some plays for this team. And now we get a chance to meet him in our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. DP, take it away. All right, joining me today, cornerback Sharice Wright. Sharice, the first time I've actually had a chance to sit down. First of all, welcome to Houston. I know you've been here for a few weeks now. Uh, how's it been for you this this season so far? It's been good. It's been good. Um, it's been a good transition for me. So um, my teammates did a good job helping me uh, get comfortable and get get uh, get acclimated. So your first season with the Texans, but you're not new to the NFL. It's your eighth season in the NFL, so you're kind of like a wily veteran. How much did having that all that previous experience sort of help that transition into this defense for it, you? Um, it helped a lot. Just um, being able to play in different defense, defenses since I've been in the league and just. It just came down to terminology, just trying to learn the, the language that, that Houston speak, the defense speaks. So that was the, the biggest thing, but it's still football at the end of the day. All right, you've got a lot of experience in the entire defensive backs group between Kareem Jackson, Jonathan Joseph, Tyron Matthew, yourself. How have you liked that DB room so far? It's full of a lot of fun personalities, yeah, it seems like. Yeah, we got a lot of, I got, we got a lot of characters in the room for sure. <laughs> so a, a lot of different, it. yeah, a lot of different characters, but... It's a good vibe for sure, man. It's a good vibe. I like it. I imagine you've been watching a lot of these players throughout your time in the league because you've all sort of been in the league together. But anybody's personality really surprised you once you got to know them up close? Um, yeah, I mean, Kareem is like he's a he's a funny guy. You don't really 
expect I didn't really expect him to be like a comedian and not not a comedian in a sense, but he, he, he has he's a yeah, he definitely friend. does. He got K Jack T V going on. He does. Um all right, you've been an important part of this defense when injuries hit. And Anthony Midget, the, the secondary coach, he said that you played with, with some stuff going on yourself, but you've right. been out there. When you come into a new team and then you have to step in sometimes in the middle of a game, sometimes when you're not prepared to or when you're not expected to, but because of injuries that you have to step in, what's the toughest part of that? And how much does having that experience sort of help you stay ready all the time? Um, The most important part of that is just staying prepared during the week. And, you know, making sure you take those mental reps, um, being prepared for that that situation. Me being a veteran guy, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I was brought here to be able to do things like that and have the experience of playing football and being a starter for a few, for years in this league. And um, like you said, the, the hardest part is to stand prepared in, in between before the game actually gets here to stay in tune and prepare like you're going to start. So when those times come, you know, you just got to be got to be ready to go. You talk about your path here a little bit. You spent four seasons with the Chargers, two with Baltimore. Last year you were with the Bills. Um, so general manager Brian Gain, he was with the Bills last year. What was your relationship like with him there? How much did you interact with him? And, and were you surprised when you got the call that he wanted you to come to Houston? Um, yeah, we, we spoke a few times in, in, in Buffalo. I didn't know how he felt about me as a player. We never really discussed. Know. I didn't know that. Um, but when my agent called me, he you know told me who it was. I remember seeing him around the building. Um, a few times when I was in Buffalo, but we didn't really have too much interaction. But obviously he knew who I was and he knew the type of player I was. So I imagine that feels good as a player that you've played for somebody before that you've not really interacted with too much, but then they move to a different team and then they want you to be a part of that new system as right. well. Right, that's a lot about him. I mean, just because we didn't interact, he, he knew who I was and he, he watches everything. He's at every practice and he's always watching us and he's in the meeting rooms and sometimes. So, you know, he, he knows what type of guys he likes and you know, I guess I was one of them. So you've been a part of a lot of different locker rooms. What really stands out to you about this particular locker room? I know we've talked to Demarius Thomas about it as well, but I'm always interested when players come from other teams when they when they step into this building. Just a um, tight-knit group of guys who work hard consistently, guys who have each other's back. You know, it's one of those locker rooms where everybody's really supportive of each other in, in the locker room, and um, it's, it's a good vibe for sure. Bill O'Brien always talks about special teams, how important special teams are, and, and you've done some – You've done a lot of things on special teams throughout your career. What have you thought about how this special teams unit has done under Brad Seeley and Tracy Smith? From what I've been hearing, and it's, it's been a, a whole different special team unit. It's um, been an uphill climb for a, special yeah, teams for this definitely, franchise. Definitely, but uh, I feel like Coach he does a good job preparing us, getting us ready. Um, um, you know, and these guys who, you know, there's, there's te- players here who are committed to special teams, and they take it serious here. And um, I, I hear some guys say, man, i never seen a team, you know, spend so much time on special teams. But this is vital to, to our success, and it's important. So, and you said, it's a lot of guys that are committed to, to playing special teams and take pride in and being a good special team. Yeah, I was, so. I was going to say, it really does seem right. like from some of the players I've talked to, Brennan Scarlett, Johnson, Batamosi, like, it's almost a source of pride being on special teams and how well the special teams have performed every single week. Is that different from what you've seen Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to get guys to really buy in. Everybody feels like they should be starting on defense or starting on offense. It's hard to get guys to, to buy in and, and, and to play special teams. But it just says a lot about the guys here, just knowing what their role is on this team and playing their role to the best of their abilities, which you know helps us become like a great team, not just like a bunch of individual players.
I was looking back at your past. You attended USC around the time of Pete Carroll. Brian Cushing was also there at right. the same time. You guys were part of the same defense. Yes. How well did you know him, and did you ever keep in touch with him once he entered the league? Um, yeah, definitely. He 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 would come down to SC when he first got into the league. I remember him taking some classes, and seeing him in class a few times like when he after first he got graduated? after he graduated. And I'm looking, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> but <laughs> but uh. But yeah, we definitely. I, I've talked to him since I got here. He reached out to me when he heard that I was going to sign here. He reached out to me and you know let me know if, if I needed anything. Um, let him know and he's here for me. And uh, but yeah, we did have a pretty good relationship. We we were there together for three years. So at SC, so that's really cool. I was going to ask you if once you got here, if you kept in touch with him. But it seems like that Trojan family is pretty tight knit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 like to keep in touch. It's a lot of us in the league, so um, you know we like to support each other. I was reading about your college career and i read that you had a hairline fracture in your neck in oh, the 2008 yeah. season my c5 vertebrae i fractured it how scary was that it was uh it was pretty scary it was i didn't know for a whole week that my neck was broke um i thought it was just like a crook in my neck so i was like walking around like, like oh like my neck is very like, stiff for like a whole week and um we finally found out that it was fractured and i missed the whole season the hardest thing was coming back and like tackling somebody again and hitting somebody again that was like because you're unsure yeah, of you if just, it's healed yeah and just you know just knowing that you can break your neck you know just how, how did you do do you remember the play that you did yeah on? i'll never forget i'll never forget that play it was um it was a the quarterback 12 throw prior actually we were playing ohio state and he uh scrambled out of the pocket and uh, i went to make the tackle and the receiver pushed me in my back and Everson Griffin was coming from like inside pursuit, and we know how big Everson Griffin and Terrell Price. So I kind of took the whole, you know, hit from both of them colliding, and my head was up. And yeah, did you finish the game? Uh, no, I played like two plays after that, and um, and they I, took you I, out. I had to come out. I I couldn't I couldn't move anymore. My neck just started getting real tight. And so you find out that you so, fractured your your vertebrae. Since then. Has that was what have you learned from that experience? I'd imagine that's probably like the scariest injury you've had throughout your career. Right, right. It, it's probably been the worst injury that I've had so far. To be able to come back from that, I mean, as such a young player, you right. know, how do you have the strength to come back from something like that and have the confidence that you can play through it and, and come back? Oh man, just NFL? courage, just having courage and just you know having faith that you know I'm gonna be all right. I was, I had to wear a neck brace for about three months and. You know, it took a long time for me, to, like I said, to really feel comfortable tackling or throwing my body in there. And I was always a physical corner, and always a corner that I liked to hit and liked to tackle. So, and like I said, my last year in college, I probably had like 70 tackles. I was like third on the team in tackles. So I just kind of had to forget about it a little bit and just, you know, just believe that I'll be all right. Well, you are, and, and this many years later, you're still in the NFL making a name for yourself. When you describe your style of play to people that aren't familiar with you, how do you describe it? I'm just a scrappy, tough, I'm going to play hard, I'm going to compete. You know, I'm, I'm going to compete, so. Good stuff. Sharice Wright on Texans Radio. Thanks so much, Sharice. Yeah, thank you. Good stuff there from Sharice Wright and, of course, from our good friend, D.P. Sidhu. All right, coming up, the Redskins. How do you beat them? Well, there are some keys to this matchup. We talk about this with Bill O'Brien each and every week. Every week he looks at the opponent says, these are the keys, and then kind of break them down offense, defense, and special teams as they go into the game. I will give you my first community credit union, first glance, keys to the game next. How will the Texans get to 7-3? and three? they got to do these things. I'll give that to you next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. 
football analyst and sideline reporter. And I want to call all Houston area teachers. I was once a teacher, and I love to bring football into my classroom. So you want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. All right, it's time for our First Community Credit Union. First glance, keys to the game. O.D. Special Teams. What's it going to take to go get win number seven, which would be seven in a row for this team against the Washington Redskins. Now, this is a team in Washington. If you haven't been paying attention to them, I mean, that's fine. You watch the Texans and probably follow the AFC teams and what's going on in the AFC South, what's happening with the Patriots. Oh, man, the Chiefs. You're probably following the AFC, and that's fine. The NFC may have watched them, may have seen them against Dallas. That's where we, we happen to see them. We were flying back from somewhere. I can't remember what game. Maybe the Jacksonville game. We were flying back watching the game against Washington. So what they were able to do. But if you haven't seen them, I'll give you – Here's probably the, like, what are they? Think 2016 Houston Texans. Close your eyes and think about that. In that year for the Texans, we were 6-3 and three at one point, as the Redskins are 6-3. and three. We had lost three games, got pounded by the Patriots, by the Vikings, by the Broncos. The Redskins have gotten pounded by the Colts, by the Falcons, and by the Saints. Their point differentials plus one. Ours, I think, was maybe, I think it was right at even. They're a defensive-minded team. 2016 was a defensive-minded team. Quarterback's better. Alex Smith is better than Brock Osweiler, but their formula is the exact same. If they keep the game close, they're going to be able to run the ball. They're physically going to want to beat you up. And defensively, they'll show you some different looks up front and try and get guys to the quarterback, harass the quarterback, make things tough, and turn you over. They've got the formula 2016 Houston Texans followed. Now, in 2016, obviously, we were without J.J. Watt, and we had Merciless, and we had Clowney. They don't quite have guys like that, but Ryan Kerrigan is very, very good off the edge. And the two guys inside, Deron Payne and uh, Jonathan Allen, both from Alabama, are exceptional together. So they're made up a little differently, but how they've gone about their business and what they're doing and how they're winning games, that's the Washington Redskins in 2018. I don't think the Washington Redskins in 2018 can win a shootout. I just don't think that's po- I don't think it's possible. But I do think they can win a game 17-13. They can win a game 21-18. They can win a game like that because the defense will find a way to make plays. So let's dive into our keys to the game and start with the Texans' offense. What do they have to do? We're going to start with the inside passing game. Now, when I say inside passing game, I'm talking about mainly tight ends and then who they're going to play in a slot. And this week, hopefully, we're going to see Kiki QT. Now, it does sound like he's a game-time decision, but just watch him do things at practice. Again, with a guy with a hamstring, you, you just never know. But he's had plenty of time to rest. He injured in a Jacksonville game, missed the Miami game, and then he missed the Denver game, had the bye week, and then had a full week of workouts to get ready for the game against the Washington Redskins. The inside passing game. When QT got back in the lineup and actually played for the first time against the Indianapolis Colts, what do you do? He caught 11 passes. Next week against Dallas, he catches a touchdown pass on a little push pass or jet flip, whatever you want to call it, and made some key catches throughout that entire game. When we then went down to Jacksonville, he gets banged up in the first quarter. He has to sit out. Then the offense goes back to going through Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins. I think that Kiki QT and the inside passing game become huge. 
you've got Fabian Moreau on one side and you've got Josh Norman on the other. Good, solid, long, physical corners. I don't think they're great in press man or anything like that, but they're just good. They're solid. Uh, Josh Norman's not the level he was in 2015. But inside, inside I think is where you got an opportunity. Now, Ha Clint Dix was traded to the team. They got DJ Swearinger at safety. We're going to get to DJ in just a second. They got those two guys at safety. But I think QT and the tight ends can then, when they're going against tight end or going against linebackers, they're going against nickel guys, I think that's an advantage for the Texans. Got to get them involved early and really get Washington back on their heels trying to figure out what the Texans are doing with the inside passing game. Number two, I mentioned two guys inside. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, both from Alabama. Allen and Payne can play off and often each other and play off each other very, very well, especially as it pertains to the pass rush. Deron Payne, when I did my draft analysis on Deron coming in, the one thing that really stood out to me was when Deron Payne made plays, and that was when the opponent on the other side was of a high caliber, Deron Payne showed up and dominated. George in the championship game, he was all about it, and he was outstanding. Clemson in the semifinal game, dominant. But playing Ole Miss, third quarter, they're up by four touchdowns, and Deron's he's doing what he's got to do, but he's not making the plays like he normally would. He loves the lights being bright. Jonathan Allen brings it every single play. But those two together, the strength of pain, the versatility and quickness of Allen, they're, they're a handful inside. The three interior guys, when Allen bumps inside, when they go to their four-man look, their four-man rush, and it's Preston Smith and Kerrigan outside and Allen and Payne on the inside, that's as tough as they're going to see. That interior, those three guys on the interior are going to have to control those two guys inside to be able to do anything, to run, pass, whatever. They're going to have to control those two guys. Number three. This is going to be a game-managing situation as it pertains to Deshaun Watson. Here's what I'm talking about. Snap count and cadence. One thing that I really noticed against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was how DJ Swearinger was able to get himself free to make easy tackles in the backfield in the run game because with motion or shifts and changes, he would time up the snap count, and he wasn't blitzing. But he would time up the snap count such that he would not be accounted for in the blocking scheme. Whether it was nickel or whether it was base, he would get in the in the mix, mostly in nickel. He would get in the mix right as the ball is about to be snapped, and they wouldn't account for him. He'd have kind of a running start, and he made two tackles for a loss. Oh, one was for a loss and one was for no gain. But he was not accounted for in the run game. So the A part of this is, for 3A, is for Deshaun to manage his cadence, hold that snap count a little bit longer. Everybody's going to have to hold their water a little bit so that DJ may show and then they can account for him. The B side of that is no matter whether Swearinger's gotten there or not, they're going to have to account for him because he's going to be involved in the run game. That, to me, is the biggest thing. Yes, DJ has four interceptions, but to me, he's more valuable in stopping the run, especially in nickel because he comes up as the will linebacker. And that ends up being an issue. Now, along those lines, we get the key number four. When DJ is at linebacker, because he plays linebacker like a normal linebacker would, he's very susceptible to play action fakes, any kind of zone runs. He's going to bite. And when he does, it opens up gaps behind him. So last night I called the game. I said earlier I called the game Stephen F. Austin in Northwestern State. And Northwestern State threw the same play four times to the same guy. And it was fake the zone inside run, draw the linebackers in safety, 
and then throw the bang eight or the deep slant or the short post, depending on like it's called bang eight, eight being a post. And they threw the same thing four times and it was open every time because a good play fake draw that drew that linebacker and safety in. That's what the Texans can do against DJ Swearinger. The Bucks did that and they were able to hit that same exact play two times for big yardage. The Texans have got to be able to do that. Play action fakes are hugely important against an aggressive defense like this. And then my last key is not only continuing to move DeAndre Hopkins around the formation, but keep moving him into the slot because there are times with the personnel groupings that the Texans use, Bill O'Brien's done a hell of a job making sure that, okay, when the Texans go into this personnel grouping, the defense goes into this. And when they do that, then all of a sudden you put Hop in the slot now you got him on a linebacker. Well, that's a good that's a good fit. It happened against Denver a couple of times. I remember hearing it during the game. I remember hearing it, and it happened on the other side of the field, so I didn't see it as much. But I remember Andre Ware saying, well, that's easy pitch and catch. You got Hopkins matched up on a linebacker, Josie Jewell. Well, that was all personnel and, and moving Hop to the inside. So continue to move Hop around. I don't think Norman's going to go with him. I don't think Moreau's going to go with him. I think when Hop moves into the slot, they're just going to play it as is. They're going to try and bracket him, they'll double him, but they're just going to go as is. I don't think Norman's going to move inside with him. I think those those days are over, and if they do decide to do that, then it's Hopkins all day long, one-on-one against Norman, and I think Hop's going to win that one every single time. But when Hop goes in the slot, that's a good thing. All right, let's flip it over to the Texans' defense. Now, one thing I didn't say about the offense, no turnovers. That's first and foremost of anything. The same way on the defensive side, it's tackling. Tackling's a massive deal. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They've got to tackle. It's Adrian Peterson got to tackle them. Okay? So keep that in mind. Start with the defense. Key number one. Second and long doesn't mean pass. The defensive front must stay disciplined. One of the plays I saw early on, I did this on Telestrator. I saw it with the Redskins. The first, they were on a drive. I think it was the second or third quarter. And they handed the ball to Adrian Peterson on the first down play and got stuffed. I mean, just stuffed. McCoy and Carl Nassib just stuffed the right side of the, tech, the Redskins' offensive line, stuffed the play, lost the one, second and 11. Ooh, second and 11. I mean, that's a pass rusher's dream, right? Second and 11. You're reaching back and you're going and getting somebody, right? And that's what the Buccaneers did. Redskins called draw. 17 yards later, it's a first down. After a completion of Jordan Reed, the Redskins went back to their run game. They caught the Buccaneers in the front. They ran a little split zone. Adrian Peterson's now got a huge gain. But they wouldn't have gotten there without that second and 11 run. And when I think about the 2016 Texans, one of the things I think about was because Bill O'Brien and the offense didn't want Brock Osweiler in third and long situations, they ran the ball a lot on second down, especially second and 10, second and nine. They ran the ball a lot on those downs. The Redskins will do the same. Second and long does not mean that they're going to just sit back and rifle the ball with Alex Smith. They will not do that. They're going to mix in runs particular run like a draw which was run perfectly because the right side of the line pass set and you saw Nassib and McCoy just flying upfield and all of a sudden there's a huge gap there the Texans front has to stay disciplined on second down I know it sounds weird second down yeah second down we always talk about first down third down and even fourth down second down gets lost but second and long is where the Redskins can't pick up chunks of yards because teams are sitting there bringing in their nickel and dime expecting pass and then all of a sudden they're pass rushing and then there's a huge gain by Capri Bibbs you can't give those away. Number two, when Adrian Peterson has the football or any runner at this point, the Texans do a pretty good job of this, but it's really important against Peterson in particular. 
you've got to bring everybody to the party. Peterson is not down. We saw that last year against the Cardinals on fourth and one. Clowney thought he had him stopped. And luckily, Zach Cunningham and Marcus Gilchrist were there to finish the tackle. So finishing on Adrian Peterson is huge. So you got to hit him. Pop, 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 pop. you got to hit him with four or five guys. One guy is not going to bring him down, and you can't let AD get out into space one-on-one against the secondary. Our guys tackle very, very well in the secondary. This guy's a different beast as it pertains to that. Number three, the the tight ends can be a problem. But Jordan Reed in particular, I that's the one matchup that I'm definitely worried about. Reed is much better than anything the Texans saw last week against the Broncos, and Jeff Hireman had 11 targets and 10 catches against them. So they're going to have to figure out when they get to third down in particular – how are they going to account for the tight ends? That might mean a little bit more nickel. That might mean one of the safeties drops down. That might mean Jordan Reed is going to see Justin Reed or Tyron Matthew or even Kareem Jackson sometimes to make sure that they're covered. I would feel better about that matchup. Now, the Texans don't always play man on third down. They might mix up zone or play some matchup zone, whatever it might be. But they've got to account for the tight ends. The tight ends, Jordan Reed in particular, cannot have the kind of game that Jeff Hireman was able to have against them before the bye. So the tight ends end up being an issue. Key number four, one thing Alex Smith has killed the Texans with, in particular last year against Kansas City in that game five Sunday night matchup, Alex Smith did a great job of getting in the pocket, dropping, letting the rushers go beyond them, and then getting up in the pocket and then out. And then his receivers worked to scramble through with him. Now, Chiefs wide receivers better than Redskins wide receivers. Let's just be straight up and honest about it. But if Alex Smith is able to do that, get up, in and then back out, you're going to have a lot of issues trying to stop Alex Smith in this offense. It's a different offense, but that's where Alex Smith ends up being a huge, huge problem. And last and certainly not least, and this is more about the team thing, but you've got to force Alex Smith and Redskins to chase you and not the other way around. You get them to do that, and you got an opportunity to do good things against the Redskins on Sunday. So there you have it. Those were your first community credit union, first glance keys to the game. Is brought to you by FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Coming up next, it's our good friend Kevin Kugler. Yeah, Kugler. He'll have the Monday night game in L.A. with the Rams and the Chiefs. And Mark Vandermeer caught up with him earlier this week. So we'll have an additional men behind the mics. This one, it won't be the two guys calling the game. It'll be Mark and our buddy Kevin next right here on Texans All Access. Let's go. Each and every Wednesday, we start off the second hour with our Men Behind the Mic segment. And that is Mark Vandermeer talking with the play-by-play voice. On the other side, in this case, it's Larry Michael. We had that for you Wednesday. A little extra special because we've got the two play-by-play voices of your Texans. Mark, who does all the games, of course. And Kevin Kugler, who calls our preseason games, but also calls Monday Night Football for Westwood One. Mark had a chance to catch up with him earlier this week. It's wonderful to have you on, and you were part of the early phase of the Texans winning streak here, six in a row, and you called the Dallas Cowboys-Texans game on a Sunday night. You're the voice of Sunday Night Football, as we said. So what were your thoughts then on this team, and what are your thoughts now? Well, I, I've been, I've been, you know, as somebody who saw them in the preseason and, and walked away in the preseason thinking, this team's got a chance to be pretty good. I, I feel like I've been validated a little bit in my own mind because after the start, I thought, gosh, how was I so off? But now, you know, winning every game they've played over the last month and a half, you feel pretty good about what this Texans team has done. I, I'm impressed, obviously, with this defense. The defense continues to get better, I think, and will continue to do so. How can you not like what the offense has the potential to do? 
Um, I, I just think, you know, Demarius Thomas was a bold addition. I think that's an addition that's going to continue to help the Texans as they move on into this season. And I like this team. I, I, I thought that division was interesting at the beginning of the year. I thought it was going to be more interesting with the Jaguars' uh, performance last year. They've kind of taken a, a giant step back at this point and look to be pretty much done. But I love that division. I think that division race is going to be fascinating to watch down the stretch. And, I mean, how, how do you not like what the Texans have done right now? It's been a fun month and a half for Texans fans, and I think that ride is going to continue. I'm not saying they're going to win every game they play the rest of the way. That might be a little optimistic. But this is a really good football team. This is a playoff football team right now, and they're only going to get better. Well, that was an overtime game between the Texans and the Cowboys that you called here at NRG Stadium. What has been your best game so far on Sunday night football, Kevin? Um, You have to say it was that Chiefs-Patriots game of a couple of weeks ago. That was a back-and-forth game. And you know what? You didn't think it was going to be in the first half. It was 24-8 at halftime with the Patriots kind of in control. And then Patrick Mahomes, who is just one of the really – bright young stars of the National Football League, and we saw him in the preseason, Mark, when the Texans played the Chiefs and got a chance to see him for a series, and you knew at that point this team could be pretty good because they had a lot of speed, and they fell short in that Patriots game, but it was one of those games you walked away from thinking, if they had more time, they're going to win this game because they were the better team in the second half of that game, and this Chiefs team, they're, they're an interesting team with speed all over the place, but that game was the best game we've had on Sunday night this year, in my opinion. That was just a fun up-and-down-the-field pace and just a lot of excitement in that one. Kevin, do you think the Patriots are in trouble coming off that loss to Tennessee, or is this just a hiccup and they're going to be okay come playoff time? Man, I, I hate to rule out the Patriots because last I checked, Bill Belichick's still on the sideline and Tom Brady – seemingly ageless as a quarterback, but I did not, I didn't like what I saw last week from that Patriots team. I watched most of that game and I I thought Tom Brady looked a little mortal. If that's possible for somebody who has not been mortal for most of his career, I thought he looked like a guy who didn't quite have the zip on the ball that we've seen in years past from Tom Brady. I thought that defense struggled. I thought they looked pretty bad. I mean, they just got popped in the face by the Titans and they didn't really respond. That's not a Patriot thing. So I'm not going to drive a nail in the coffin of this Patriots team, but I do think there's a reason if you're a Patriots fan to be a little bit alarmed. Now, if you're a team of the rest of the AFC, you're thinking about time this team comes back to earth. I'm not going to rule them out. I still think they're a team that could go all the way and and make it to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. But I do think there is a reason to start to look at this team right now and go, okay, are they going to have to go more of a Denver route in the later years with Peyton Manning and just try to, manufacture offense around their quarterback. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I think you have to start thinking about that. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One Sunday Night Football and also Big Ten Network, Texans TV preseason voice. And Kevin, you've done a bunch of NFC East stuff. The Texans are playing the NFC East this year. They have the Redskins this Sunday. You just did that Dallas Eagles game. Is Dallas not done? Does Dallas have something in the tank here to make a run at that NFC East, which is certainly not over yet? Yeah, I was very surprised by how Dallas came out and fought in that game because that was it was a it was a must win in my opinion. Now, had they lost that, they're three and six. They're not going anywhere. The season's over for Dallas, and then you have a month and a half of is Jason Garrett going to be your head coach talk coming up, and you may still have that. But that was a pretty critical win for the Dallas Cowboys. I think they still have something left if they can continue to do what they did in that game, which is 
remember that they have Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. I recognize that that offensive line is banged up, and it's not where it needed to be, and it's not where they've drafted it to be over the last several years. But if you just keep giving Ezekiel Elliott opportunities, more often than not he's going to do what he did in that game. He's chipping away, chipping away, and then he pops a big one. And then all of a sudden it becomes a little easier for Dak Prescott to get a few things done. It's not a great offense. It's a pretty good defense. In fact, it's a playoff defense right now. It's the offense that holds Dallas back. That was a big win for them. If they can keep getting Ezekiel Elliott going in their games, they're not done. That division is no, is no uh, shall we say, juggernaut division. I, I don't necessarily believe that the Redskins are going to run away with this thing, even though they have a two-game lead in the division. I think you've got a real good shot if you're Dallas or Philadelphia to still make a run in the NFC East. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. All right, college football stuff. What about the Big Ten representative in a national championship scenario? Alabama's going to be almost impossible to beat, but you never know what happens. Your thoughts on that situation? Well, and, and you know, I see the Big Ten every week, as you mentioned, and last week saw Michigan, who is the Big Ten's best chance to get a team in. Michigan is a team that I think can hang with Alabama from a defensive standpoint. They are loaded with defensive speed. You're going to see a lot of guys' names off of the Michigan defense called in the draft coming up next April. There will be a lot of folks that will go from that defensive line. You'll see Devin Bush, a linebacker, who will get drafted very early. He's got great speed. So the speed and strength of that Michigan defense would allow them to stay in a game. The question's going to be, does Michigan get in? They've got to get past Ohio State. They've got to win the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, assuming they do get past Ohio State to get to that Big Ten championship game. But the real question is going to be, what if Alabama stumbles against Georgia in the SEC title game? They get there undefeated. Say Georgia beats them in a close game. I don't think Alabama falls out of the top four, which means you're probably pushing either Notre Dame or Michigan out. And those two teams played head-to-head in week one, and Notre Dame got the better of Michigan. Michigan hasn't lost since. That's the concern, I think, for the Big Ten. But if you're somebody who wants to see the college football playoff expand to eight, that's exactly what you're hoping happens, that somebody like another, the Big Ten team gets shoved out because I think you'll see an expansion very quickly if that happens. College basketball question. You're the voice of the Final Four. Boy, you're the voice of a lot of things. Okay, this on Duke, rhetorical question maybe. How good is Duke? Uh, they look unstoppable at the beginning of the season. And I realize it's early, but my goodness, Zion Williamson, is he's, he's something special. And we're not going to get to see him very long in college basketball, I'm afraid. But this is a – Coach K may have one of his best teams of all time, which says – something about that because you can think of some of the great teams that coach k has had over the years but this team has the appearance early of a very special basketball team it's that college basketball this year is going to be interesting there's a there's a lot of youth in the uh, in the game right now it's going to be a very interesting season for college hoops i really get my season started uh, in earnest tonight i've got seton hall in nebraska and a gavit games and then i've got ohio state and creighton tomorrow night so i get the chance to to see some Big East, Big Ten basketball this week. Um, but seeing Duke in person, and hopefully we'll get the chance to do that a little bit later on in the season, I'm excited to see what they have. They look like the real deal right now. People ask me, what would you do to change college basketball, fix college basketball? Does college basketball need fixing, or is it okay the way it is? Here's one of the bigger problems with college basketball. I think college basketball is a great game. But I think one of the issues that people have with college basketball is it's underway now, and nobody knows that it's underway. That's, that's bad for the game because 
You've seen Duke play on TV. I've seen Duke play on TV. We are not in the majority, Mark, of Americans who have seen college basketball because we're all in a football mindset, whether it be college, pro, or both. It's very difficult for college basketball, who, because of the volume of games, gets to play some great matchups in the non-conference, but it's very difficult for those games to get noticed in the landscape of football. Football still dominates the conversation in America, and that's one of the bigger problems that college basketball has is that people don't really pay attention to college basketball in any sort of aggressive fashion until January or February when they start thinking about March Madness. If if college basketball could figure out a way to either shorten their schedule or start later and compress their schedule, you might have a better chance to get people more interested early in college basketball. But as it is right now, you've got – Heck, you've got a matchup tonight of the two teams that played in the national championship game last year. Michigan and Villanova are playing tonight. And I'm going to venture to guess not too many people outside of really hardcore college basketball fans were even aware that game was being played. And that's a problem for the sport. It really is a shame. I didn't know until it was on Twitter. I saw a picture somebody had shot from up above at the rebuilt, renovated Villanova Fieldhouse. And I thought, oh, man, Michigan's playing Villanova. Who knew? I mean, you're just so locked into football at this point. Uh, you just didn't know. Kevin makes a great point there. Kevin Cooler does great stuff for Big Ten Network. Westwood One on Monday nights, Sunday nights. I mean, he's all over the place. Love getting a chance to listen to him. And just one hell of a guy, too. He is absolutely awesome. Coming up next, it's time for our Texans Pick'em. I.E., my way of going around the NFL. I pick all the games straight up and against the spread next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this wonderful Friday edition of Texans All Access. And by wonderful, I mean the weather and the show as well but man what a wonderful day and night it has been here in the city of Houston welcome back to the show I'm your host John Harris football analyst and sideline reporter thank you for being here it's time to play Texas Pick'em and do it my way but Texas fans play Texas Pick'em presented by train for a chance to win great weekly prizes like autographed items Texas tickets or even a cruise download the Texans mobile app to play now now I believe Texas Pick'em is straight up, just picking winners. I pick winners straight up and against the spread when I do it. It's a good opportunity for me to talk about the games, talk about what's going on in the NFL. I like doing it. It's kind of rapid fire, kind of go bang, 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 bing, bong, bing, bong to all the different games that are going on in the NFL. You know what the Houston game, I never picked that one because I can't pick, no matter what the spread is, whether they're a favorite by 17 or underdog by 17, I'll never pick that game. That's Goes against my heart and my head, and I can't do that. So I, that's one I will always stay away from, but I pick every other one. And look, I'm not telling you to go to Vegas and bank on these, but it's just a good way to talk about the game and what's going on with those teams and fire on the NFL. We're part of it, so let's do it. But before we get there, I got to have my music, please. All right, there it is. I hear my music in the background. It's all I need. Give me a little NFL films. And a nice Keontae, and I'm ready to go. I don't, although I don't even know what a Keontae is. I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know if you put it in front of me. It's some kind of wine, I think. I don't know. But I don't drink, so I'm not worried about that. All right, let's get into the games. Last night, I tell you each week, straight up. I always do my picks before Thursday because I have a friend of mine that needs them, so I give him the picks. So I'm always honest with you. I got this Thursday, and I got it by a half point. Seattle making that extra point last night was huge. I was sweating that out. Why? Because the spread last night on Seattle was two and a half. Seattle favored by two and a half. They won by three. That extra point ended up being the difference. Russell Wilson brings the Seahawks back. And the Packers looked good in the first half. And I thought, well, oh, this was a bad pick. 
And then Russell Wilson kept bringing him back, bringing him back, hit Ed Dixon with the game-winning touchdown. Seattle gets the win. 1-0 to start the weekend, baby. Yeah, love it. All right, let's get into the games on Sunday. Here are your noon games throughout the NFL. Now, the Texans will be a noon game here. Obviously, if you're going to the game in D.C., it's Eastern time, so it's 1 o'clock. So 1 o'clock Eastern, noon local. So just, it thought it started at noon. No, it'll start 1 o'clock in the East Coast. Just make sure that you're aware of that. Carolina goes to Detroit. As I was rifling through Twitter, I saw somebody very snarkily put a tweet from Detroit, one of Detroit media, Matt Patricia talking about practicing outside. And I didn't even read it. I haven't even read what he wrote. 891 words to start off his press conference today on Friday. Oh, man. Detroit is a a three-and-a-half-point dog at home. I picked Carolina to win this game. I think Carolina is going to bounce back. They had the mini-buy after getting destroyed in Pittsburgh. Destroyed. I mean, Pittsburgh was ruthless. They couldn't stop Pittsburgh to save their lives. And that defense has got some really good pieces. I think they'll do a better job of stopping Detroit. I think Carolina's going to win this, but I do not think it's going to be by much more than the three and a half that they're favored by. But it'll be enough. I think it'll be somewhere between four and seven, but Carolina's going to go to Detroit, get the win. Carolina needs it to stay in the wild card hunt. And it'll stay in the NFC South hunt too, but mainly with the way the Saints are playing and the Eagles could help out the Carolina Panthers this weekend, but I think it's going to be the Saints running away with that division right now at nine and one, eight and one, sorry, eight and one. So they'll play and then they got the, they already had their bye, so they'll catch up this week with pretty much everybody else throughout the league. But at eight and one, two games ahead of Carolina, I think Carolina is fighting uphill for that. But for wild card, makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at the rest of the conference. I think that Carolina is in a good spot, but getting to six and four gets a little dicey. I think Carolina gets to win the win by more than three and a half. So Panthers to win and cover. Tampa Bay goes to the Giants. Now, I was talking with uh, one of my buddies last night as I was doing a college game. I did uh, Stephen F. Austin and Northwestern State, and I was talking about how tough it is for New York. The Giants flew out to San Francisco. They played the game on Monday night, then had to fly back after the game, back home. So they probably didn't get back until probably around lunchtime, maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe a little bit earlier. Maybe they got home for breakfast. I don't know. And then they've got to play a pretty explosive Tampa Bay team. At least New York is getting to play at home. But I think maybe New York found something. You could I listened to Mike up a Sterling Shepard, and they had kind of the same vision. Hey, start stacking these wins now. Let's start putting this is one in a row. Let's start getting this done. I kind of like that thought process. It's a one-and-a-half-point spread the Giants are favored by. Tampa Bay is going to turn the ball over. I think it's going to give Eli and the offense a few more shots at it. I like the Giants in this one. I think it'll still be close, but it's got it's got a shootout possibility. This feels like 35-31 kind of stuff. Let's go with Eli, Saquon, OBJ, and Shepard in this one over Tampa Bay. Well, it's going to be a – whatever the over-under is, I don't know what it is, go over. Go over. But Giants to win and cover. One and a half, it's almost like straight up. Let's go the Giants to win and cover. Dallas goes to Atlanta. Now, last year, Dallas went to Atlanta and gave up six sacks to Adrian Claiborne. Now, Claiborne is a member of the Patriots, and it was that game that helped get Adrian paid and over to New England. 
Atlanta's favored by three and a half at home. I'm playing a hunch here, and I don't know whether, obviously, I'm right in this, and we won't know until the game, but I'm playing a hunch that Dallas beating Philadelphia on Sunday night could be the foreshadowing of some good things for Dallas. That offense, I thought, looked really good. Going against a good Eagles defense, they took the Eagles' best shot offensively and kept coming back and kept answering score after score. I'm going with Dallas to at least get inside the number. I do think Dallas will win. I'm not totally sure how. They've played lousy on the road at times this year. Atlanta did not look good last week against Cleveland. But I think more about Dallas kind of turning the corner. Maybe Amari Cooper means a little bit more to Dak Prescott than anybody originally thought. Let's go with, let's go with Dallas in the upset to not only cover the three and a half, to uh, beat Atlanta straight up. Tennessee goes to Indianapolis. Now, this is the way that I, I look at this. If Tennessee wins and the Texans lose, then Monday morning, well, actually right after the games are over, Tennessee would then be atop the AFC South due to the tiebreaker, which would be a head-to-head competition that Tennessee won back in Week 2. Now, they'll play on Monday as two 6-4 and four teams, if that's the case. But the game in Indianapolis, I got Indianapolis favored by 1.5. I got Indianapolis to win and to cover that number. I think Indianapolis is hot. I think that's the team to concern yourself with, even as it pertains to the playoffs. If Indianapolis wins, they're 5-5. Five and five. Tennessee would move to 5-5. Five and five. If the Texans then win and get to 7-3, they'd have two games up on both of them. If they beat both of them in that three-game stretch at home, the division is done. Mathematically, I think there would still be life, but it would be pretty much done at that point. So, we need the Colts to win. I'm going with the Colts to win at home, and they'll cover that 1.5 and, and beat the Tennessee Titans. Cincinnati goes to Baltimore have no idea who's playing quarterback for Baltimore. John Harbaugh said yesterday, hey, Joe Flacco doesn't have to practice to be able to play. Well, he hasn't practiced. Lamar Jackson didn't even practice yesterday. So it was RG3 who took all the reps. Have no idea what's going to happen at quarterback. But at home, I'm taking Baltimore. I think this, this feels like a game in which the Ravens' defense will find itself from where it was earlier this year that 11-sack game against Tennessee, and then all of a sudden it was downhill from there. I think they'll get back to that. Maybe not that many sacks against Cincinnati, but I'm going to give Baltimore the win here and move both teams to 5-5. Five and five. So Baltimore is going to cover the 4.5 and, and get the win outright at home. Pittsburgh goes to Jacksonville. Jacksonville hasn't thrown in the towel or, well, they're trying to convince everybody that they haven't. The Steelers win this one, and Jacksonville might as well. 3-6. and six. They're a five-and-a-half-point dog at home. This game was moved off of the Sunday night game because Jacksonville has lost five in a row. I'm giving Pittsburgh the win. I think this will effectively end the season for Jacksonville. Pittsburgh moves to 7-2-1. and one. They'll cover that five-and-a-half. They'll get the win against Jacksonville. And then we'll start, to see, we'll start to see who jumps ship from Jacksonville at that point. It is exactly what I said would happen. We'll see how Jacksonville deals with success and injuries. They're going to have them. They can't have a, a year like last year. They were healthy all year long. Everybody was. And they're not this year. And it's it's catching up to them. That's a quarterback play. Some rough play in the defense. They look lousy against the Colts. Just lousy. And actually could have won a game or two. 
Denver goes to the Chargers. Chargers are seven and a half point favorites. I was tempted to go with Denver here. Denver's coming off a bye, but I didn't. I went with the Chargers, and then about, oh, I don't know, it was around lunchtime today, I saw where Broncos lineman Max Garcia tore his ACL, which I think happened in the game the Texans played against him. So they've lost Matt Paradis, Ronald Leary, and Max Garcia on the inside. I think that's way too much. And Joey Bosa might be back for this one. So we're going to go Chargers to cover the 7.5 and, and win, obviously, at home. Oakland goes to Arizona. Arizona's a 2-7 and seven football team. Has not played exceedingly well all year long. Did play hard in that game at Kansas City. And maybe that tells you a little bit about this Arizona team. They're five and a half point favorites over the Raiders. I think the Chargers, or excuse me, I think the Cardinals will cover that. That shows you where the Raiders are right now. One and eight, lousy. Lousy. It's been terrible for the Raiders for a number of reasons. But Arizona's going to get the win and cover that five and a half. A two and seven football team are picking to win outright and cover a five and a half point spread. Oh, boy. Philadelphia goes to New Orleans. This Philadelphia team is not the one from last year. Last year was a special ball club. The camaraderie was great. They were healthy. Everything came together. The ball bounced their way nearly every week. That's not happening this year. They're not closing out games. They're not getting stops when they need them. That's why that team is 4-5. and five. And it will go to 4-6. and six. As they go to New Orleans and take them on in the afternoon on Sunday, I do think that New Orleans won't cover the 8.5. I do think that Philadelphia will get inside the 8.5 point number. Philadelphia will play as if their season, their 2018 football lives are in danger this week. Because 4 and 6, eh. 5 and 5, I think they're going to have a chance. Because if the Texans beat the Redskins, that puts the Redskins at 6-4. and four. Philadelphia is then sitting there going, hey, we're f- we win this game. We upset the Saints. We're 5-5. Five and five. We're just one game behind Washington. I still think Philly and Dallas are in the mix. But Philadelphia's got to win this game. I think they'll play with that desperation, but the Saints are too good. So give the Saints the win, but the Eagles get inside that 8.5-point uh, spread. Philadelphia gets the cover. Minnesota goes to Chicago. Now, I just cannot believe in a team in Chicago that went to Miami and got beat by Oswather and the Dolphins. I just am having a hard time with that. I I know I shouldn't, but I just do. The Bears lost to Miami and Brock Oswald on the road, gave up 31 and doing it. I think Minnesota, even though Minnesota's a two-and-a-half-point dog on the road on a Sunday night, I think the Bears will play energized the first half. Now, with Khalil Mack back, that does change things for the Bears, but... Everson Griffin's back. Daniil Hunter is tearing it up. They've got a one-two combo coming off the edge. I think that could make life tough for Mitchell Trubisky. Let's go with the Minnesota Vikings to win and obviously get inside that two-and-a-half-point spread. I can still win that by taking Minnesota. Minnesota makes it close. Bears win by one or two. But I think Minnesota's going to win outright. And then the game Monday night that was supposed to be Mexico City. Field conditions moved it to L.A. The irony is... The field at this point in the season in L.A. is already a mess. It's not quite the mess it was in in Mexico City, but it's not going to be pretty. That said, 91 Kansas City, 91 L.A. matching up in a massive game. They're both going into a bye next week. It's been rough going for L.A. 
from this standpoint, the everything that's gone around outside football, everything that's impacted them, moving them to Colorado Springs, everything with the fires, the shooting, everything that has impacted life as they know it there in L.A. And then these guys got to play a football game. And last week they were able to hang on against Seattle. This week against Kansas City, it's going to be tough. But I do think the Rams are going to find a way. I think they're going to play with a certain resolve to do it for those people in California that now believe in them, that have become huge fans of the Rams. The Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to take the Rams to cover the three-and-a-half and get the win and move to 10-1 and one and move Kansas City to 9-2 and two heading into their bye week next week. So there you go. There's your Texans pick them presented by Train. All right, we get back. It is time for our players segment. And a player who once played in the NFL, Brian Gain. So we'll have the game plan and the player segment next to finish up on Texans All Access. One final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Getting ready to go to Washington, D.C. tomorrow morning. Get up there on Saturday, play game Sunday, and hopefully come home with a W. Glad you have been with me tonight. We've had a fun show, and it gets even more fun when we get to this segment because it is our players segment. I am your host, John Harris. I've been with you all night, and one of my faves in the locker room, and I think it's everybody's fave, is Kareem Jackson. And anytime Kareem Jackson picks up a mic, it's time for Player Reporter, a.k.a. KJAC TV, and it's brought to you by Arctic, the official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic coolers, overbuilt, not overpriced. If you could have any game in the locker room, what would you want to have? And and we're back. K Jack T take the T's out. Take the shirt out. Take the shirt out, baby. We taking off. We taking over one C at a time. DJ Khaled. And we're back. K Jack T take the T's out. Take the shirt out. Take the shirt out, baby. We taking off. We taking over one seat. DJ Khaled. Before we start, shout out Artic. Keep me cool. Shout out Artic. I'm here with B Mac, Scar, BP. How y'all doing today, man? Doing good, doing good. Wonderful, man. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, all right. That's six in a row, ain't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So if, if you could, if you can pick one game that you would like to see in the locker room, you know, what game would it be? Pool table. Pool table, you pretty good at pool? I'll run the house. Just like that. We're going to get a pool table in here, and we're going to see if you run the house. I think you're just talking. Where you learn how to play pool at? My dad. Dad, he pretty good? He the best. I'll beat him. <laughs> what would you want to see in our locker room? A basketball goal, for sure. Basketball, okay. I like that one. Big Buck Hunter. Big Buck Hunter? Yeah, the Big Buck Hunter Safari, the game at the bar. Yeah. What game would you want to see in the locker room? What game? Uh, probably a basketball goal to him. Yeah. Somebody else said that too. Chess. Man, <laughs> come on. That was a Stanford answer, that man. Uh-huh. Chess. Give him a strategy, bro. Give him a strategy. You don't want to do no strategizing in here, playing no games in this locker room, man. We got horses. We got queens. We got kings. We got pawns. Rook. We got a rook. 
No, knights. Knights. There you go. Yeah. Man, say horses, man. He don't even know how to play chess. We got, we got horses, <laughs> castles, sticks. <laughs> Little guy. He asking for he, he, he asking for a chess game. He don't even know how to play chess. Horses? Come on, Scar. You're better than that. You're definitely better than that. I bet Ken Lamb would know what goes all in a chess set. It's our final word with Drew Doherty this week, and it is Kendall Lamb. Drew, take it away. Over the last six games, every one of them's a W. Over the last six games, you've been the starter at right tackle. Is that the secret? <laughs> uh, I don't really get too too much into that. I just I'm thankful that you know I can go out there and help us get a win, and you know mesh well with my brothers on the O line. It's, it's nice to see us get rolling and. I don't toot my own horn saying I let everybody else. If that's what they want to think, they think I'm just blessed for the opportunity. You're a nice guy. You just answered that with a good answer. I was being sarcastic. But clearly, the offensive line has played better right. over the course of the winning streak. What's the difference as a unit, you think? Uh, my opinion, we're getting, we're getting comfortable with one another. We, we've had shuffling parts some, sometimes throughout this, this year. But, you know, we've, we've had, if it's, you know, R5 who will be playing this Sunday and then, you know, Greg comes in, uh, you got Rank that will come in. I feel like we've, we've gotten – that comfort level together, regardless who's in there, from an offensive line standpoint, that goes a long way. So, yes, sir. You think it's kind of easy to forget sometimes when we are looking at the world of sports? Like, if you had applied to your own life, those of you listening out there, sometimes it just takes a while for you to be good at your job and be good with your teammates at your job, no matter the profession, right? Oh, yes, sir. I, I completely agree with that. I think people fail to realize sometimes, I mean, we're, we're going against the best people in the world these are guys who literally make millions of dollars because they're good at what they do it's not easy i mean it's not the easiest thing so it, it takes time um, like i said you have to be on the same page with, with the guys beside you and so you can be a fine well-oiled machine because i mean and even if you are doing everything right they get paid too sometimes they make plays it's the way it's the nature of the game so i mean that's that's the biggest challenge we go through and you know we look forward to it no doubt, and for the most part, Deshaun Watson has been upright the last three, four games. How about you? Last last year when we saw you, you played some left tackle and you had your struggles, but sure. you've come back very strong over on the right side. It's not just merely a matter of switching positions, though, has it been for you? Oh, no. I mean, from my standpoint, like we talked the other night um, at Fuddruckers, it was, I mean, I had to reevaluate a lot of things. You know, the left side, I've always played it. I, I enjoyed it. The right side was very new to me. So, I, you know, I did a lot of work in the offseason preparing for whatever side or whatever opportunity would come. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror. I, I changed a lot of things about my life in general. And a lot of people who don't know, I mean, every time I go to the line, you know, I'll get to play in the huddle, but I just talk to myself. You know, self-talk is a big thing. And, you know, I've heard that from other people before, but I really started to adapt that this offseason, just the way, you know, I communicate with myself to, to keep everything nice and mellow. Because, I mean, even when you see me on TV, I'm very chill. But I try to stay as calm as possible. So there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows, but I try to be me regardless. It's the difference between you and me. When I talk to myself, people think I'm just a weirdo. <laughs> you're out there. You're keeping defensive linemen and outside linebackers from crushing our quarterback. Let's talk about this defensive front for Washington. Right. Very impressive. It starts with Ryan Carey. Again, you'll, you'll probably see a little bit of him yes, from sir. time to time. This is a guy who came out same draft as J.J. Watt and has produced at a very, very high level every single game of his career in that span. Hasn't missed anything. Let's start with him. Let's talk about that, that defensive front. How good are they? So, I mean, they're very good. Um, I think when you look at them pound for pound, they're one of the best front sevens in the game. You know, they've got guys on the back end who are playing very good. I grew up a Panthers fan, so I've seen Josh Norman a lot. You know, watched him back in, in Carolina. In my opinion, it goes back. It's always about us. You know, they're going to do what they do. I mean, I remember four years ago seeing Ryan Kerrigan when I was a young pup out here, thinking, my gosh, he's a beast. And now I blink my eyes, and four years later, I get the chance to go against one of the best 
best players in the game. So, you know, I, I, I openly enjoy those challenges because, I mean, it lets me know where I'm at, but it also lets me know, you know, the work that we put in, you get to go against the best. I mean, we've got Clowney and JJ here. We, we see them every day, but I'm going to get to see a different, a different type of rusher this week. And, I mean, as long as, you know, we stick to the game plan and, we, like I said, we take it play by play, I think we'll, we'll be okay. I like that you brought up when I was a young pup because that 2015 season you were a rookie. Yes, you sir. get to go two, three days to Richmond and right. practice against the Redskins. What are your recollections of that time there? Because it ended with a bang, it did. Uh, so to speak. It did. I mean, it was – It was. I love the weather, of course. You know, it was my first time being out here in the heat. So getting back to the East Coast and seeing all that was nice. But I can remember it being a grind up front, even when we went out there. Even me being younger back then, you know, my, my recollection of how it happened, I mean, it, it's always a grind. So to be able to four years later go out there and actually – be the guy going against them for the first time in the game, it's, it's going to be fun. and It'll come full circle because I kind of look back. I mean, that's where it started for me. So it's going to be nice to get back to it. This is our players segment. We heard from KJAC TV. We heard from Kendall Lamb with our final word of Drew Doherty. And now it's time for another player. Guy that played in the NFL. General Manager Brian Gaines. Time for the game plan. I caught up with him earlier this week. Brian, usually you and I save our conversation for Sundays. Each and every Sunday, you and I get together down on the sidelines, but we get a good chance to catch up during the week. How you doing, my man? Doing well. Off the bye weekend here. Hopefully uh, everyone got a little bit of rest here for the back stretch, stretch run here of the second half of the season. I know everybody got some rest, coaches, players, et cetera, but how about you? What was kind of for you the bye week? Did you get a chance to study more players around the NFL? Did you get a chance to just watch games? What was kind of your bye week like? Well, on a professional level, uh, you know, we, we let the organization, or at least the football operation, have a few days here to catch their breath. But from a workload standpoint, spent a lot of time evaluating our own roster, uh, spent a lot of time uh, putting a plan together in terms of ensuring the health of our team, uh, trying to ballpark figure on the players who were going to get back here after the bye in terms of health. So the bye came at a very unique time for us almost halfway through the season, just a little bit past that. So it was a perfect break in between. And we're optimistic that some of the players here that have missed recent games will be coming back to us here in the immediate future. Brian, this might be a little bit of a loaded question, but I'm always curious about this. How difficult is that aspect of it to evaluate your own roster, knowing these are players that you spend every day with, that you see every day, that you have some sort of emotional attachment to, but yet to take a stance of we've got to evaluate this roster and doing the right way. How tough is that once you when you look at it from a from a just okay, these are names, these are players on this team as opposed to these are players that I know and I've really gotten close to in some sense. How tough is that? It is tough because there is a, an emotional element to it, and you, you gain, you build relationships with people when you work with them. It's only natural that that happens. But I have a high amount of respect for what the players go through on a day-to-day basis to get their bodies ready to play, to prepare to play a game on Sunday. It's, it's, it's a very difficult challenge because the other guy on the other side of the field, he's a paid professional too. So um, for the most part um, – what I would say is, in, in that regard, is communication. It's very good communication with the coaches and with the staff. I have a very good personnel staff, very good scouting staff in terms of how we break up the workload and evaluate our own roster. But re- removing the emotional element of it, at the end of the day, we're always trying to improve. So it's really all about, hey, where can we get better as it relates to this bye week when we evaluate our roster? Where are areas maybe that where we're strong? Where are the areas maybe we're, we feel a little bit deficient? 
and then number three, how can we improve in those areas here for the second half of the season? So that's really the, the time and, and the energy that's spent is where can we get better to position ourselves here to be playing real good football come December. And we get a couple days into the bye week, and you already applied that standard in some sense, bringing in DeAndre Carter. What can you tell us about DeAndre Carter so coming here? De- DeAndre is about five foot nine, five foot ten, one hundred and eighty five pounds. He's a four four guy uh, coming out of college. Uh, perhaps a guy that's taken a long road, a two thousand fifteen draft class player. Uh, he's played outside and inside at wide receiver. He's been a dual returner. And what I mean by that, he's been a punt return guy and a kickoff return guy. He's got both preseason snaps and active roster snaps. Uh, Philadelphia made a roster change, and, and for us at that stage, we felt like this would be an opportunity maybe to, to get a little bit better in the return game, but also give us some value as it relates to depth at wide receiver because he has played inside, he has played outside, and he does have fourth down value. As it relates to his role on our roster right now, so we believe we're a competition program and the best players will play, so we'll see how he fits in. Um, but he was on the waiver wire. We claimed, claimed him from Philadelphia, and we're adding him to the mix. Brian, how important does that initial look at a player coming out of college matter to you? You said he was a guy back in 2015. I would imagine that you guys studied him at some point or your scouts studied him at some point and sort of kept tabs on him all along the way. How important does that initial impression become for a player like that where you go, hey, I thought about this guy back in 2015. How important is that to you? Well, that's a, that's a good question because we lean heavily on our college background as it relates to our college uh, scouts uh, going into the schools and getting the background, the personal character, the football character, learning a lot about the player and their personality, their love and passion for the game. And so we we rely heavily on that as it relates to the professional players in the league because we don't get a chance to do that sort of background and vet out as it relates to when we acquire pro players. So we got to lean heavily on sourcing as it relates to guys' fits and character and how they come into our program, the locker room, the chemistry, etc. So we really rely heavily on that. Now, as it relates to what he did as a, as a pro football player on the field, we rely heavily on our pro scouting staff and nuclear our own pair of eyes between Bill and myself. Um, so he had a very he had a very good showing uh, this preseason um, with Philadelphia. Uh, got brought up to their active roster here with some of the injuries they have, and he played about 85 snaps of regular season football. Uh, had regular season snaps here in the return game, both punt returns and kick returns. So we're excited about his potential. Brian, coming out of the bye week, we know first and foremost uh, health and availability. I mean, that's the biggest key. That just goes up on a shelf. That's just always, no matter what, injuries, health, and availability are key. But this this team coming out of the bye week, what are what's probably the biggest key that you want to see coming out of this bye week that'll that'll be something that will lead to success in these final seven games? Short term goals, one game at a time, and I've used this phrase before: singular purpose. And right now, that's the Washington Redskins. It's not week twelve. It's not week thirteen. Here we are in week eleven. And for Bill and I, we've we've stressed this this fundamental premise, and that's all about preparation. This week, it's an uncommon opponent. We will earn the right to win on Sunday by what we do here Monday through Saturday. Equally coming out of the bye, perhaps it gives us a little bit of a head start on an uncommon opponent, the Washington Redskins, who we don't play every year, to get a few extra days' work to to prepare for them. And we're hoping that that pays some dividends for us here uh, on Sunday. And that's what I was going to ask you. You you spent a little time in the NFC with the Cowboys, but you spent a lot of time in the AFC East. Bill's been in the AFC East and now the AFC South. A lot of guys with AFC ties, and all of a sudden you've got to play an NFC team. How valuable is it to have a couple extra days to get ready for an NFC team? How difficult is that? I know when you watch teams, they look similar. When you look at the Redskins, do you say, hey, this team kind of go? They, they look like the Titans or they look like a team you're familiar with? Or do you just look at them and say, we've got to get ready for them as the Redskins and how they are? Yeah, you certainly got to, got to become familiar with them as it relates to learning their personnel 
learning their schemes, you know, where they are in a league in terms of the rankings, how they try to play the game, and equally then how we're going to play the game based on what they do well and perhaps if they have any deficiencies. Um, but the truth of the matter is we play the NFC East. So there's been some crossover and some film exposures. So we played Dallas, we played the Giants, we still have Philly on the horizon. So through some film study, there has been some crossover exposures to the Redskins. But this is a perfect example of where you know preparation is the utmost importance this week because of the uncommon factor that you know you don't play this team every year. You play this this team every few years. So, but what I would say is there has been some crossover as it relates to how we. We we play the NFC East this year. You have a quarterback in Alex Smith, and we faced him 2015 twice, 2016 once, faced him in 2017. So we faced him as he played with the Chiefs. Now we face him as a member of the Redskins. Is there some value in having faced him before, even though he's going to be running a completely different offense in Jay Gruden's offense in Washington? Yeah, I think there's value in the fact that our defensive players are going to be very familiar with his skill set in terms of what he can do. And some of the things that, that I would like to, to think all our players will recognize is this is a dual-threat quarterback. And uh, Smith doesn't get enough credit maybe for his mobility. He's a good runner with the football. He can extend drives and get first downs with his legs. And he's bigger than perhaps than people think. He's all six foot four, borderline six foot five, 225 pounds. He runs well. He's got a good enough arm to make all the throws. And because he's a dual threat, he can keep drives alive on third down. So we have to respect the fact that he can uh, move the chains with his legs this week. There you have it, folks. Another show in the books. Got a lot of people to thank. Bill O'Brien, Mark Vandermeer, D.P. Sidhu, Sharice Wright, Kevin Kugler, Kareem Jackson, Kendall Lamb, and, of course, the general manager of your Houston Texans, Brian Gain. Thank my guys back in studio for keeping me on a straight and narrow and on the air tonight to all of you for listening. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. We'll see you on Sunday from Landover, Maryland, taking on the Redskins, trying to get to 7-3. Seven and three. Seven row will be sweet. 1-0 and oh this weekend. That would be even sweeter. Just win the game in front of you. That's all you got to do. See you then, everybody, and as always, go Texans.